whistleblower report exposing lies deceptions and all that has assaulted our way of life we must take back our freedom and live as god designed in a free america that honors our constitution and our creator our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. For such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report. This is Dr. Lee for America with our international team, Dr. Mike Eden from the UK and Andrea Klarich from Croatia. And we are welcoming all of you to the 2024 first Whistleblower Report. And we are excited to be bringing you continuing truth, against the lies and deception as the narrative heats up in the new year, trying to fuel more fear, disruption, lies and deception to disrupt the United States presidential election in 2024, and also as the global controllers decide to tighten the vice on all of us with internet censorship, digital currency, digital ID, more pandemic declarations, and whatever else they are trying to throw at us to take our freedom away. So this is what the Whistleblower Report has focused on since it began over a year and a half ago, and we bring experts from many fields. Today, we're going to be exploring the controversy between whether or not the COVID shots are FDA approved and regulated or whether they are a different animal altogether. In fact, there has been a lot of discussion with national figures talking on Substack taking the FDA to task about why they're not regulating these COVID experimental injections more closely. And that really is a misunderstanding about exactly what these COVID injections really are. And we're going to dissect that today with one of the most credible people in the world, former Pfizer vice president, Dr. Michael Yeadon, who has a career focused on rational, safe development of medicines for respiratory disorders and diseases. Dr. Yeadon spent his career in big pharma and then in biotech when he left Pfizer. So it's important that all of you listening understand exactly what these COVID injections really are. They are experimental gene therapy agents. They are not traditional vaccines. 
And Dr. Eden is going to explain the difference between emergency use authorization products and covered countermeasures under the PREP Act in the United States. So, Dr. Eden, let's have you go into what this controversy is all about and what are the facts to combat the misinformation in other media outlets. Thank you for being with us today. My my pleasure again, Dr. Lee. Uh, It's always always good to discuss with you and Andrea Claritch and others uh, and to reach uh, the subscribers of this channel. So, uh, yeah, so... We all we all we'll all remember, no doubt, beginning of 2020, uh, we were told about uh, you know a mysterious new virus, respiratory virus emerging from the east, and it was going to sweep across the world. But a little while later, we were told more or less, don't worry, because um, you know big pharma and and others are working on creating vaccines that will that will save you. So before we get into the the jabs themselves, these injections. I'd like to refer people to a recording that's a short speech that's gone viral, if you pardon the expression, on Twitter by um, a Canadian academic uh, called Denis Rancourt, or Denis Rancourt, if you're English, D-E-N-I-S-R-A-N-C-O-U-R-T. So if you go to Denis Rancourt on Twitter or to his substack, you'll find a short speech entitled Lesser Scientists Speak, and... Dennis tells the audience that he's been a scientist for almost 40 years, multidisciplinary head and so on. And he will tell you what has really happened over the last few years. And it does chime with my position that I'm afraid there's not been a pandemic. We've been lied to, um, psychological operations, military grade has been turned on the citizens of all the countries by our own uh, you know, wondrous spook people and army people. And what they really did to frighten us was to introduce a completely defective and meaningless uh, PCR-based diagnostic. And they used that to tell you that there were tens of thousands of, quotes cases, which was was BS scientifically. Uh, I dismantled that test along with a dozen other people in 2020, but you won't have heard of that because censorship is so good. So that's the backdrop. But let's let's just pretend for a moment there was some kind of crisis. We were we were told that there would be a rapid adva- advancement of experimental vaccines. And as it turned out, they had them ready to stick into your arm in December 2020. Now, before we get into the law, after spending over 30 years in this industry, I can tell you with absolute certainty, it's impossible to invent, test, clinically evaluate do the toxicology, develop the manufacturing methods, make and gain approval for anything, let alone a complex biological product like this, like this is. So it's it's not possible that they've done what they've said. And of course, I can provide the uh, explanation for how they got out of this uh, impossible situation. And it, the answer is they didn't do that. They didn't invent, test, evaluate, mass manufacture, and so on in 10 months. They must have done it over some other period of time. But if they were going to do it through that normal route, and they've everyone's given you the impression that's what happened, and that FDA ultimately reviewed, approved, and essentially blessed it, um, that's what you're led to believe. And of course, if anyone said, look, these are, quote, experimental, people would go, no, 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 FDA's approved it. Um, they were, although they were emergency use 
authorized, they would say, yeah, but it was still the FDA. You know, the FDA is pretty good. They would have looked at the dossier. They'd have checked risk benefit. They'd have looked at the clinical trials. They'd have, surely they would have inspected some manufacturing facilities. It would be manufactured good manufacturing practices. Everything would be okay. Uh, and it was hard to counter that early, early on. Um, but, and this is where I will credit uh, two people that you're, I'd like your listeners to note down and perhaps go and read or listen to um, a legal scholar, American legal scholar called Catherine Watt, Catherine with a K, Catherine Watt, W-A-T-T. Again, she writes under Substack. And uh, a Ukrainian-American, um, one of the bravest people, I would say, in our side of the battle, um, Alexandra or uh, Sasha Latipova, L-A-T-Y-P-O-V-A. Those two together, I would credit those two uh, courageous, smart women with having dug out uh, of the ground, really, what has happened. And bluntly, over the last, um, I think it's 50 years, maybe even 60 years of evolution in the U.S. federal law that relates to public health emergencies. I, I won't try and step through all of the changes in federal law, I wouldn't be able to remember it, and I'm not sure it would be meaningful to the audience. But those of you who are interested, Catherine has gone through every single change in public health law, federal law, and they are all of these things are involved in what I'm about to tell you. Um, so what happened was that um, we've seen some of the contracts through Freedom of Information Act, but the Department of Defense, so senior uh, administration officials. So these are not people I would think of as the military, you know, flyers, army, navy. It's not those people. It's administrative people that you'll never you'll never see that run these multi-trillion-dollar budgets. Someone there uh, ordered uh, from multiple companies, including Pfizer, BioNTech, um, Moderna, and so on. Uh, a, what they ordered, interestingly, were not. Um, you know, final quality, top quality uh, medicines that, that we would all recognize having been reviewed and approved by the FDA in the normal way. They actually use something called OTA or other transaction authority. It's a legal route that allows the Department of Defense to acquire quickly um, materials required usually for war. Um, so if you can imagine the legal difficulties of trying to uh, put out a request for quotation and to agree the specifications of some very expensive product. It would take months. Often it would genuinely take months for, for both parties, technically, legally, to agree something. And you can't have that. You know, I, I can see the position. I can see why this law was put in place, that you can use this other transaction authority, and it allows the DOD to expedite acquisition of materials. Now, they've never been used before to acquire products that are going to end up jam jammed into the arms of the public. So I want you to know how serious this deviation is. I think these laws, uh, the other transaction authority, were probably put together 50s, 60s, so that they could order missiles and guns and whatever, uh, tanks and things like that. Uh, they were not designed to to produce uh, products, which then would, they would purport to be medical products, because that's what they've done. They've, they've fooled everybody. And also the specific wording on one of the contracts I saw 
required, I think it was Pfizer, um, to, to meet a contract to provide manufacturing prototypes. So even in the wording of what was ordered, it wasn't a finished product, but a manufacturing prototype, or even a manufacturing demonstration, something like that. They probably chose the word for reasons we don't yet understand that would have allowed them Dr. to Yee, meet that. You are yeah. absolutely correct about the word. It is manufacturing prototype. That mm. is in the court documents that Warner Mendenhall has discussed on mm. our legal symposium in the Brooke Jackson case against Pfizer. And, and the, the court confirmed in the opinion, in the legal opinion from the judge, that what the DOD had ordered was a manufacturing prototype, mm. not a finished product. I just wanted to emphasize yeah. that because I have the, the, the confirmation from a different source entirely. That's very good. It's no, legal. you're right. And I, I'm aware of another legal case, uh, the one that uh, a woman called Brooke Jackson, who was a clinical trial uh, administrator on this particular trial, and she alleged, uh, I think, uh, fraud. And it was thrown out because it, it turns out, I'll, I'll explain in a moment, there aren't any clinical trials required. So that's just literally but, but a, it's a front. Forward. They, the case is on appeal and the case is still moving forward. The judge mm. who missed it had that important legal opinion in the ruling when he dismissed it, that this was a DOD ordered manufacturing prototype yeah. product. Yeah. So now I've spoken with the attorney, uh, Warner Mendenhall about it, and it is actually moving forward in, in a different court. Okay. So we, we haven't heard the end of this case. And Brooke Jackson is also a very courageous woman who has been a whistleblower and at great personal risk. So it's good that yeah. she's taking the case forward. No, just, absolutely. It's, 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 important that, it's important that people, I'll just, I'll just step through this then. So what, what was agreed quite quickly, um, certainly by, by the middle of 2020, the, the drug companies uh, were planning to use, they'd been guided to use something called the Emergency Use Authorization, the EUA, not to be confused with the expanded access use, something like that. So it is definitely EUA. And the key thing about emergency use authorization is it's a non-investigational pathway and product. So they're not, they're not pharmaceutical products. That's the key thing to know about EUA. Then the, by definition, a product that's approved under EUA is not an investigational product. It could be a bollard or you know, uh, some flak jackets or what it isn't is a pharmaceutical product. What these are, are countermeasures. They're literally countermeasures. What does countermeasures mean? It means that in the event that there's some emergency, in this case, a public health emergency, a PHE, then it would be reasonable, would it not, for a, certainly a well-behaved country that wasn't using this to trick people to put in place countermeasures to uh, uh, avoid you know injuries in in their citizens and so on and that so that's this pretend law so uh, that in the event the that the uh, human uh, um, health and uh, health and human services secretary declares a public health emergency covered by the 
the PrEP Act that was put in place, I think maybe 20 years ago, a little bit, a little bit later than that, then that means that uh, EUA, emergency use authorization products, uh, are allowed legally to bypass all of the relevant regulations in the Food, Drug and Cosmetic Acts. In other words, the normal business of the FDA. So there, there's a special section, section 564, um, which says that uh, approving things that haven't got clinical trials and proper manufacturing, of course, breaches everything in the, the Food, Drug and Cosmetics Act, except if there's a public health emergency, in which case emergency use authorization can be issued legally. And the FDA is the, is the issuer, but they don't have any role in regulating anything about it. Basically, if the HHS secretary says this public health emergency uh, and says any countermeasures will be covered countermeasures under the PrEP Act, then FDA looks around, sees a submission um, along this EUA pathway, and it grants it. There need to be no clinical trials, no role for FDA in evaluating any uh, dossiers, no manufacturing standards like good manufacturing practice to meet. Um, uh, they, they just issue the EUA, and then the media will lie to you and say, well, look, FDA has proved it. But there is no, there's the other things you need to know before I wrap up. Because these aren't pharmaceuticals, all the normal protections under international law, that is, you cannot be experimented on without consent, are waived. Now, I'm not saying it's right. I think it's an illegal law. But the law says, because it's a countermeasure to a public health emergency, your consent is not required. There is also no liability for anyone, um, no matter what happens, because you know it's like we're doing our best in an emergency, folks. There are also no stopping criterion, which is why thousands of people have been reported dead uh, under the, uh, the British yellow card system and the vaccine uh, adverse event reporting system, the AERS. Um, and finally, it's not uh, reviewable by apparently by Congress or the judiciary. So that's absolutely shocking. Uh, and I, I know nothing of the law, but what little I know of your great nation, and it is a great nation, is that these are federal laws. And therefore, I think at least theoretically, states could nullify what I believe are arguably illegal federal laws and then suspend these things. So anyway, that's, that is roughly where we are, um, uh, Dr. Lee. And it's, um, it goes a long way towards explaining the, uh, the appalling behavior of the authorities who know perfectly well what I've said is true. And I think at the moment, certain individuals who I won't name, some of whom are national leaders, some are well-known campaigners, berating FDA saying, you know, FDA has fallen down on the job. Look at the contamination with the circular DNA. All of that's BS. The FDA had no role beyond uh, a, an automatic issuance of the emergency use authorization because they've gone down this countermeasures route. And so some people might be ignorant of that. Um, but those who are not, I'm afraid, are playing with you. So I'll take a pause at that point, Dr. Lee, and point me in any way you think we should go. Well, I, I think you're wise to help explain these differences for the public because my experience as a practicing physician has been that the public is under 
the false premise idea that the COVID shots were FDA approved. And I, I know where that came from because the FDA's press conference on August 23rd, 2021 was one that we covered in our press conference a few days yes. later. Mm-hmm. And you were a speaker on that. So it was clear the subterfuge that was going on in that press conference because I read the letters that the FDA wrote to the various pharmaceutical manufacturers, BioNTech and Pfizer, Moderna, for example, I read the letters that the FDA wrote to them. And it was very clear that there was no approval. BioNTech Comirnaty was only conditionally approved and never manufactured. And it was conditional on five more years of safety studies for the myocarditis risk Pfizer was continued on emergency use authorization only, and so Mm -hmm. was Moderna and J&J. We didn't have AstraZeneca's product in the United States. So people, and yet the press came out with the FDA had approved them. And so the public was grossly deceived. And now when we have members of the freedom, supposedly the freedom community, focused on berating the FDA for failing to do their job when the individuals that are speaking so authoritatively know full well that these are DOD-ordered manufacturing prototypes under the emergency use authorization legislation that doesn't have regulatory oversight. And as you say, they are not traditional pharmaceutical products under the FDA's oversight. Yeah, and, and not, not only that, it's very important in case someone thinks, oh, this is all just administrative distinctions that don't really matter. They do, they do matter. And it's, it's not just that there is no consent required. There, there literally aren't clinical trials required. I think there's been a pantomime, and maybe the book Jackson case is going to reveal this, But from a toxicological perspective, I worked in the research and early development area and was trained in toxicology. I've looked at the so-called dossiers, and they are most marked by their emptiness. The drug companies have avoided finding bad things out by not doing the studies. They've just simply not been tested. You look at them. One of the dossiers, I think it was Moderna, filled the gaps in their dossier by, by actually printing one very large study three times so as to make weight. I'm not 